You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast. I'm John Stonge, and today we have a very special conversation for you. In fact, just a few weeks ago, we had the first installment of what I'm calling Faith Conversations, and we shared an interview that I did on the Ordinary Sherpa podcast with Heidi Dusick. And today we have a very similar conversation with someone new. In fact, this is somebody that I have been following for a while, someone whose books and and content and podcasts I, I really appreciate, a friend of mine named Vincent Puglisi. And Vincent recently described himself to me as spiritually curious. And what he meant by spiritually curious was the fact that he's certainly acquainted with a variety of spiritual things and Christian beliefs and and all of that, but really up to this point, it hasn't been something that I think he would describe as a major facet of his life, although he's certainly open to that and certainly curious about that. And so we decided to have an open conversation about what that looks like on his podcast. In fact, he was very gracious to invite me to be a guest on his podcast not that long ago. He had recently read my most recent book, Dwell on These Things, and he wanted to talk about these things and just have a conversation about it. And I think sometimes it can be very difficult for people, even friends, to have conversations like Vincent and I shared, because I think far too often we're maybe just trying to talk over each other or we're trying to maybe prove our point, and we're not really interested in listening to what somebody else might say. But I'm really grateful for the way that Vincent handled this interview. It's an interview and a conversation that he shared on his podcast, the Total Life Freedom Podcast. And he just invited me to be a guest, and, and we talked about issues related to faith and what it means to to follow Jesus and, and how I'm impacted by my faith in my day-to-day and why I don't bash people over the head with the things that I believe and just the way that that can help facilitate friendships and and open up deeper level conversation. It was really a conversation that amazed me. I, I was super grateful that Vincent was willing to have that kind of conversation with me and that he trusted that I wouldn't try and be overly aggressive or something like that with my faith, because obviously I believe these things quite deeply. This is the core of how I perceive myself and even how I perceive my mission here on this earth. So it's very easy for me to get fired up about my faith in Jesus. But yet, Vincent and I were able to have a conversation as friends, and uh, I thought it was very insightful on his part, the things that he was sharing, the things that he allowed me to share. It was just the type of thing that you, you wish that you could have conversations like this with just about everybody in your life. So my appreciation to Vincent, if you are not yet familiar with his content, uh, he hosts the Total Life Freedom podcast. You'll definitely want to check it out, and if you haven't done so, Read his book, Freelance to Freedom, especially if you're somebody that's that's interested in personal finance and interested in entrepreneurial things. It's one of my favorite books on personal finance and entrepreneurship. He put that together just a few years ago. I read that actually before I knew Vincent, and uh, soon after I read his book, he and I struck up a friendship, and, and I truly do consider him one of my best friends. So I'm grateful to be able to share this conversation with you, and what we're going to do here is I'm going to share the interview from his podcast in its entirety, so his introduction, his outro, all the things that he shared. I'm just going to share the entire thing in the second installment here of our Faith Conversation series, and I'd love to hear what you think about it. So send me a message, john at desirejesus.com, after you have the chance to check it out. But here it is, without further delay, my conversation with my good friend Vincent Puglisi on the Total Life Freedom Podcast. 
John Stange is a friend, a husband, a father, a pastor, speaker, and author among the many things that he does. He's also an amazing member of the Total Life Freedom Mastermind and community. And today, his book, Dwell on These Things, which was published by Simon & Schuster, launches. And if you listen to yesterday's episode, where I dove into faith for the first time ever on this podcast, we're going to go much deeper today. I would encourage you, if you're turned off by the idea of faith, religion, God, to give this a shot, because I dive into a lot of my uncomfortableness when it comes to this, and what me and a lot of people deal with, with their questions and concerns about God and about faith. And I absolutely love this conversation, and it's uncomfortable comfortable as it is for me, I'm excited to put this out there today. And before we get started, I want to let you know that I'm giving away 20 copies of this book, Dwell on These Things, only to you. So if you listen and you like this and you want a copy, connect with me on Instagram. I'm at Total Life Freedom one Send me a message that you want this book, and if you're one of the first 20, we'll get you a copy. So the title of the book is Dwell on These Things, a 31-day challenge to talk to yourself like God talks to you, and without any more delay... Here's my conversation with John Stange. John Stange, welcome. It's good to be with you. Thanks for having me. I am excited for this. Um, this is a long time coming. This book has been in the works for a couple of years. A couple of years now. And today, as we publish, Dwell on These Things launches. Tell us about this book. I want to dive into a lot of topics, a lot of personal stuff. Um, but tell us about the book, how it came about yeah, the, the so the book Dwell on These Things is basically a 31-day challenge to talk to yourself like God talks to you. And um, I, I've, I've been a pastor for uh, almost 24 years now, and I get to do a lot of speaking, and I get to do a lot of teaching and preaching and different things like that. And I have noticed that as much as I may try to encourage people and try to, you know, just uplift them and, and point them in a healthy direction, I don't get anywhere near the opportunity to preach to people as much as they get to preach to themselves or speak to themselves. And um, I've even noticed, you know, just in the years that I've been a pastor, uh, the counseling sessions that I do with people, many of us are spending the bulk of our time preaching something to our hearts that is not helpful and it's not true. And I, I thought it would be hopefully encouraging to many people if I put together a book that just helped us to kind of change the narrative that we're speaking to our heart, to change some of that negative self-talk into something that's more helpful and true. It's a very impactful book. I just finished up, and thank you for writing this. Thank you for your generosity with this. What we want, what I want to really talk about, and it's it's on a personal level because, you know, you and I have spoken about this. I've the idea of faith has been a struggle for me, mm-hmm. and having you come into my life, it's been a different experience because I've been to church. I've been. I grew up raised in a, in a religious environment where it didn't always. It didn't resonate with me. We mm-hmm. went to church every Sunday. I looked at my watch waiting for it to be <laughs> over so I knew to get home to watch football on Sunday afternoon. We went because we were supposed to. My parents, you know, my, my mom would go religiously, but my dad would go on. He would be an Easter and Christmas type of churchgoer. And the stuff that we saw in church was not something that was generally practiced in our household. It wasn't something that had any type of emotional tie for me. And it was something that, aside from going Wednesday night, if anybody remembers, if they still even do it, CCD, we used to go across the street to CCD. And I went away from it very quickly. 
in my life. So, but I was also able to be introduced to a lot of forms of faith through my world in, in journalism. I got to, you know, be in Harlem at, at, at the churches as they're singing all over synagogues, temples, and got to see a little bit of everything. But the reason why I wanted to talk to you, because we have a lot of people that write books that we're friends with, but we don't normally have the, these conversations for this podcast. But as we, you know, as our relationship and friendship developed over time, and even seeing you at church last weekend, it really is kind of hitting my heart. And really, I want to give a public conversation about this, because faith has been something that's always been a challenge for me. It's something where I don't know if I need, you know, me, I need some control, some level of control with my life. And the idea of belief in a higher power, I've always believed to be there, but I've never been able to grasp on to one thing. But when I hear you talk and I listen, I've watched you over this last year or so, you've never, even though you're a pastor, even though you've written this book and you've written 24 books now and, and, and everything you lead in terms of your church, you've never tried to push something on me or anybody in our community in terms of saying what we're doing is is incorrect or we should be doing it a different way you've always been just yourself which has been something that has been attractive to allow me to pay attention to your message and it's opened my eyes and my heart to something that i haven't been able to do before and i know that's a little different than the topic of the 31 days and talking to yourself but i wanted to have this conversation for people like me that are hesitant of maybe faith or God, or even a commitment to that and where you come from with that and to have that discussion, what you would say to somebody like me. Yeah, I, I would say that, first of all, I'm impressed with the things that you just said, because when you think about some of the most awkward conversations that, that most people have, it usually comes down to something related to faith. Uh, there, there was a, a, a young guy that was, uh, hitting on my youngest daughter recently. And uh, she wanted to end the conversation really quickly with him. And, and she said to him, this is through Instagram. She said, can I tell you about my relationship with Jesus? <laughs> and uh, she's like, yeah, I knew that that would pretty much end the conversation <laughs> with him. And I, I thought, Julia, like you, you nailed that. that. That just cracked me up that she did that. But I always think of, you know, just in day-to-day -day conversations, one of the the lesser talked about things is faith, because either, you know, if people come from different perspectives, sometimes they can rub each other the wrong way with it. Or, or sometimes I think we're so intent on having our side of a conversation uh, expressed and we don't do a whole lot of listening. And somewhere along the line, it kind of dawned on me that that yeah, I, I you know I I I firmly believe that that salvation is found through Christ. That He's given me a new life and a new perspective. That uh, like the spiritual eyes that that I have have been opened by Him. And I also feel like it doesn't do anyone any good if I claim to believe in Him but then fail to represent Him. And what I mean by that is. You know, when, when you actually look at what the Bible says about what Jesus did and how he interacted with people, he always got criticism for the people that he would hang out with because they weren't snooty or they weren't like like uppity people. And people were like, why do you, you know, why do you hang out with them or why do, why do you do that? And it was like the self-righteous people that always got on his case. Mm -hmm. And over and over and over again, they would do that. And it, it dawned on me somewhere along the way that 
the the model that Christ has given us is the model that we're supposed to follow. It's it's not about getting up in everybody's face all the time. Uh, it, it's I think it's just following in His steps and uh, just demonstrating that you know if I claim to believe in Him, I I think my life should be an open book about what that belief looks like. I don't get it all right. I get some things right, and there are certain things that I'm are very much in process for me. But I, I can tell you, I have joy in the midst of all the things that I'm learning. And I have hope beyond the moment. And if anything I ever convey helps uh, just just convey that heart attitude to somebody else, then I, I feel good about that because I feel like that gives people a picture of the heart of Christ. And that's really what I want to be demonstrating because that's what's had an impact on me. How do you do it when you come across somebody like maybe like myself or somebody else that on day-to-day interaction, everything's great, but you know, say they're not they're not a believer in Christ, or maybe they're confused about it. Cause that's what I say about myself. It's like, mm-hmm. it's not a believer. It's just, when you say, what's, what's your faith? I said, my faith is, is confused. I don't know. It's like the one thing in my life that I'm like, I just am not sure of, and I'm not sure if it's a, it's a being afraid to commit to something. What do you say? Because I've never noticed you to be one to push something. And even this conversation, we've talked more about this in these eight minutes than we have in hours of mastermind calls mm-hmm. and conversations because we've talked about music you know we have challenges on what <laughs> what year a, a song was written and we mm-hmm. we laugh about so many different things and have deep conversations on business but we generally don't go in this direction i'm really impressed in a lot of ways in how you you can compartmentalize and not have that seep into conversations where maybe you think somebody else doesn't feel that way i'm curious of your mindset to that because you obviously are careful of not talking about it all the time, even though I'm sure it's on your heart in every second that you live. Yeah, I, I, I think sometimes people make faith issues needlessly awkward, because I think I am, in a sense, talking about Christ all the time mm-hmm. by how I live my life. And I can use a whole bunch of words, and I think words are important, but I actually think it makes a, 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 just as much of an impact and sometimes maybe uh, even more of an initial impact if you, if you just live consistent with what you believe. Because eventually what I've discovered is you get to have deeper level conversations like this after you, you develop trust, you know, after you actually develop a relationship, people don't take the time to get to know each other. And uh, as a result, um, you know, like it, it's just very easy to stereotype each other. It's very easy to make wrong assumptions of each other. And I'm also convinced, and I even said this to you when we were talking about this via Facebook Messenger, I don't actually think it's my job to convert anybody. You know, because you you were joking with me about that. And I was like, I really don't think it's my job to convert anyone. I, I always look at it this way. You know how countries have an ambassador that they send to another country. And, and uh, you know, so when the United States sends an ambassador to, you know, England, we're not we're not trying to, you know, convert anyone to be an American. Uh, we're just being ambassador of our country. And that's in many respects how I look at certain elements of my walk with Christ. I don't think I actually will convert anyone. I think that's actually his job. But I think my job is to just be an honest representation of what he does in a person's life. I mean, I know I can testify he's changed my life. He's changed the way I think. He's given me hope where I didn't have hope. And he's given me a purpose and and set me on a path that I really am grateful for. And I, I think 
it's important that I use words to convey that. And I definitely do with my preaching and my writing and, and conversations. But I also think it's more productive when, you know, we're having a conversations like, like this, where you, you're, you've asked me, like, you've given me permission to share some of these things in a way where there's already a lot of trust and, and goodwill between us. I think it's actually more productive this way. It's, I, I agree. And I think, I'm not sure if you've seen it before, if you've seen other pastors or preachers who have, I don't, I'll just say it, overbearing on Mm -hmm. a message. You've seen it, you felt like, what do you see when you, internally, when you hear that? Do you say, do you say, you're doing this wrong, you're you're blowing it, or everybody's got a different style, which they go about it? There, I think there's both. You know, some people are a little bit bolder than I am maybe sometimes. But then I also think some some people come off. You ever hear the term pugnacious? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a term just means like somebody sounds argumentative. And I think, I don't know, I, I don't think I've ever convinced anyone of anything by arguing with them. I just, I, it never seems to happen. But I, I think if you if you speak respectfully, even if people have different perspectives from you, I think you could have a productive conversation if you show respect to a different viewpoint. And so I try to do that because I, I bristle against people that, um, that, that sometimes just come across with that argumentative spirit. It just doesn't resonate with me. Which I think is so important. And the reason why we're having this conversation here, which is different for this, for this podcast, but I had a situation a couple of years ago where there was a mentor of mine and he kind of cornered me at a, at a business retreat. And he basically said to me, you know, I'm worried about you because, you know, I love this, this, and this about what you do, but I'm worried about you for in, in terms of your faith. And he literally said to me in front of, you know, a couple of dozen other people, you know, if you don't change, you're going to go to hell hmm. is what he said to me. And I was like, I remember leaving there and being like, I can't be a part of this, not because of the faith based it because, but because of the assumption and just the judgmentalness that went with that. And it just made me think, if you have a message, this is probably the wrong way to get somebody who is on the fence to come along and understand where you're coming from. And that's why, you know, in terms of connecting with you and, and the conversations, I've always been so inspired and impressed by the way that you're able to do this, by the way that you're yeah. able to bring in who you really are, bring in just, like you said, the building the trust in the way that you go about your life, the way that you live, and then hopefully allowing that to blend into the stories and to your message. And then, like you said, you're not here to convert anybody, but I imagine you know the reason why we have a conversation like this is because it has been built on that. It has Mm -hmm. been built on trust and honesty and just not an assumption that, oh, I know more than you and I'm quote unquote worried about you, so I'm going to try to make you change your mind. Yeah. Yeah, it's tricky because like in one sense, I, I I look at, and I'm not sure who the mentor is, but I, I look at that and I think, uh, I think I appreciate that person's boldness in a sense or like bravery to bring up what is kind of an awkward subject. And then at the other, the other side of that, I, I, I think, well, I, you know, is, is that the best way to go about it? I, you know, and I, I kind of wrestle with that too, because I think we all have different personalities. And for some people, it really is helpful if someone just kind of gets up in their face and, Mm -hmm. and does that. But I, I also have kind of, you know, the older you get, you start to figure out your way, you know, you kind of figure out um, how you're shaped and how you're designed. And, and I've noticed that, that just by personality, that that's not really how I believe God's designed me. I, I really don't like arguing with people. 
um, about things like that. I'll argue about dumb stuff like, you know, pick a dumb subject. I'll be happy to argue about that because it doesn't matter to me. But this sort of stuff matters to me too much to waste the conversation on an argument, because usually when you have an argument, it's like one and done. You never get to have the follow up. You just kind of argue. You both speak your piece. You're kind of presenting your perspective from a position of pride or arrogance and and trying to best each other instead of having an actual conversation. And it just doesn't it never really seems to lead to another conversation. And these subjects are so deep that I, I really don't think that these are one off type conversations. This is the type of stuff that it's like an ongoing conversation really we're, we're to have over the course of our life and to, to kind of waste it all by just like barking at each other. It just doesn't seem like it's a very productive thing to me. No. Has, has it always been this way for you? I mean, go back 20 years has it always been this type of approach the way that you said it? Or did you go through growing pains where it was a little more argumentative or conversational in that way? Or has this always been the way that you've been? I I think this is how I've always leaned, but I've definitely, you know, just had very awkward faith conversations with people. I remember talking to one of my friends in, in uh, high school about these sorts of things and trying to have a conversation about it and realizing that it was really just a, it, it turned more into a debate mm-hmm. than a conversation. And, and it, it never resulted in anything fruitful. I, I just, and I thought, I don't, I, I feel like I wasted certain opportunities like that by turning conversations like this into a debate. And I, when I look at so, something like this, too, I always think to myself, it's kind of like in marriage. You know, if, if you're arguing with your wife and the goal of the argument is to win, you might actually win the argument. But it comes at the expense of the relationship. So if the relationship suffers, but yet you won the argument, did you really win anything? Not usually. <laughs> and so and, and so that's kind of how over time, just like as as my personality has matured and as my faith has matured, I've realized it's just way more productive to have uh, respectful conversations, even and, and, and allowing for there to be the option to agree to disagree, but have letting it have no negative impact on a relationship. Um, you know, my like my relationship with people in, in my life is is important to me and I don't want to uh, alienate people because of my arrogance. I don't mind if I say something that's true, that sometimes can be a hard truth. But if I say it, I want to at least say it in a loving way. I don't want to be, you know, sometimes truth can be offensive, but I don't think my personality needs to be offensive. So um, that's kind of the fine line I'm trying to walk on, like say true things. But if there's an offense, let it be the truth that offended, not the way I said it. Wow. So I love that. So in your book, which I really, like I said to you earlier, like it challenges me, mm-hmm. but yet it inspires me at the same time. And it's a book that I normally would not have read if I didn't know you. And that's why I wanted to talk to you because I really think there's an audience like me that are confused or maybe, I don't know if it's arrogant or if it's just you're set in your own ways mm-hmm. that like when you talk about the unseen, right, early on in the book, I'm not sure if it was chapter one or chapter two, mm-hmm. how do you balance that conversation? Because it's probably one of the harder ones, right? right? Because there's got to be a belief in the unseen or unknown, because I can tell you from from my perspective, like I can argue, if I don't see it, I don't believe it. Mm-hmm. And how can you convince me otherwise? 
And, that's, and again, I know it's not about you convincing, but how, how do you navigate that conversation with somebody that, that, that doesn't believe because they can't see? I, I think that's one of the main obstacles to belief, don't you? You know, I mean, we want to we want to see things. I, I tell a story in the book that uh, about somebody that I knew that really impressed me in that regard. There was a man that attended our church for a couple of years. He was a college student and he was blind. He was completely blind. He had a seeing eye dog. And um, he used to bring, you know, the dog was with him everywhere he went. The dog would lead him where he would go. And and I used to love looking over in that section where he would sit because not only was that man there, but his dog was there listening to me, pre- me preach every Sunday. And his dog would just sit there quietly. And, and I, I thought, I never really thought I'd get the opportunity to preach to a dog on a Sunday morning and, and people. And it was just so fun. The dog sometimes had better attention span than some of the people I was speaking to, which was also cool. But one of the things I always noticed about him was even though naturally speaking, he couldn't see, the guy was one of the most joyful people I had ever met, which was a reassurance to me that joy is not tied to sight. This man did not have sight, but yet he had joy. And uh, and I, I thought, boy, that's powerful. And I think for us, you know, we're, we grow so dependent on sight and we think that benefit can only come to our mind or to our life or to our emotions or to our, our, our faith if it's accompanied by sight. And I've started to realize that there's a certain amount of limitation that I'm going to experience if I'm highly dependent on sight, because there's mm-hmm. most things that I try to know are based on things I haven't personally seen. So I love reading about history, but I wasn't there for when the Civil War took place. So I'm operating by faith, basically reading people's accounts. So that's an act of faith that I actually believe what historians have written about, about the Civil War, or about the Revolutionary War or something like that. I didn't see it with my own eyes. And if I have to, if, if I have to, if I can only trust what I've seen with my own eyes, that means most of the things that exist, I will not ever get the chance to experience because I'm only trusting what I could see. And it's a very, very limited way to, to go about things. But what I will say about sight, there's um there's a chapter of the Bible, uh, Romans chapter one talks about it. It basically says that there's enough around you that if you look, you can tell that the creator exists by observing what he has made. And I always think like there's so many purposeful things all around me that it testifies that there must be an intentional designer. And I even think of simple things like eyebrows. I remember at one point just thinking to myself, why do we have eyebrows? Because, uh, you know, you and I are, are uh, classic wrestling fans. And I don't know if you remember back in the day, King Kong Bundy, you know, at one point of his career, he had eyebrows. And at another point of his career, he had those eyebrows shaved off. And it was part of his look. And I remember at one point thinking to myself, what's the deal with eyebrows? Like, why is there just like this fluff of hair over our eyes? Well, a friend of mine told me at one point, he just for fun, he shaved his eyebrows off just to see what would happen. He said it was one of the worst experiences of his life because he constantly, every time he would sweat, he would get just get like the sweat would immediately be dripping right in his eyeballs and it would burn. And he said even when he would wash his face in the shower, you know, the soap would drip down his face and burn his eyes every day. He's like, this is driving me nuts. Why did I shave these things off? And I look at it and I'm like, yeah, our intentional designer said, I'm going to give you like a fluff. I'm going to invent this thing called hair. And I'm going to give you this fluff of hair right above each eyeball. And it's going to keep sweat out of your eyes. But I'm also going to let your body sweat 
um, you know, most heat comes off of your head. So that's the hottest spot of your body. And I'm going to let it cool down with sweat, but I'll make sure that your eyes still work by putting a couple of these, you know, uh, strips of hair going across your head and it'll all work out. And I look at that and I'm like, yeah, he, he's there. I, I see him in eyebrows. I never thought we'd go there. I didn't think we'd go to the eyebrow thing. <laughs> oh, but yeah. I love it. So much of, I think, and I'm going to, you know, I know you're doing a lot of interviews, and I want to I wanna just a little bit more just kind of go to the resistance of it because I think it's important just for my, you know, just on a personal level for me to understand. Yep. And I think for other people that might feel this way because I've ran in all different circles, people that will kind of just mock everything. Mm-hmm. They'll mock believers because they're um, – they're naive or whatever the word would be. But then I'll go into your church and I'll see the peace that comes from it. Mm-hmm. And I'll see the the community that comes from it. And they battle with each other. And what I battle with a lot of times is control. And you'd probably see this in me, right? You know, my wife talks about it, like I battle with this. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times when we want to be in control, and and this could just be me, but we have a hard time letting go and letting something greater than ourselves take shape or be believed. But I will tell you, there are instances when I'll tell you when, when Dylan was born, you know, he's about to be 10, but when he was, when he was about to be born, Elizabeth was, we, we weren't expecting it. It was a little bit early. They broke the water and then, and everything was going great. And we were actually talking to the, to the doctor about photography. She was very much into photography. And all of a sudden she came back in five minutes later and her fi- her face turned white. Mm-hmm. And, and we said, what's going on? And Elizabeth's, his heartbeat, it dropped from 120 to 80, just like that. And mm-hmm. in all seriousness, she said, if this doesn't change in a minute, we're going to have to have surgery. Mm-hmm. And as a dad, as a, as a husband, I mean, everything changes in you. And she, a minute later, she's like, she looked at me, she said, I'm sorry, we've got to go. And they took, get, get all your stuff. We're out of the room into the emergency room. And so as a person not of faith hmm. and a person who kind of said, I've got it all under control because hmm. I control my own life, right? And everything always works out because I make sure it works out. For the first time ever, I wasn't in control, it felt like. And I remember sitting in the room and I remember, and I'm embarrassed telling this story because of afterwards, but, you know, I'm sitting there and both of my knees are, are shaking so much that I can't even hold them down. I have my hands pushed down my knees are bouncing. I'm so nervous. And I'm just, and I'm hearing, you know, what's going on slightly, but you don't know. It's your, it's your wife. It's your unborn child that you don't know if you're ever going to see hmm. because everything's getting really hectic. You have your two boys at home with their grandmother that you don't know what you're even going to say to them. 45 minutes sat there with my knees and crying. And I remember talking to God, mm-hmm. which I never did. And I said, I said, God, if, if just please let them survive Mm -hmm. and i won't complain about anything ever again Mm. and i remember i remember looking i took a picture with my camera of the picture frame across the hall from me Mm. so i'd remember that moment and so all of a sudden you know 45 minutes goes by and i hear a a baby crying but i don't know if it's our baby because there's a couple of rooms there Mm. and then i remember the joy on the nurse's face they came out crying with a blue wristband saying he's beautiful and I get emotional thinking about it, just breaking down. And in that moment, and in moments like that, I realize I don't have the power that I think I do. Mm -hmm. I'm not as in control as I think I am. 
and I give in or I talk to God, which doesn't happen very often in my life. But I realize, wait a second. It's interesting how that happens in times of need and in times of real extreme worry. But when everything's fine, when my body's working fine, when my mind's working fine, I feel like I got it all covered. <laughs> and I think at my age right now, what embarrasses me is kind of the arrogance that comes with that. Mm. Because I've never really dealt with it to where I've had to rely on something else. And, I, and you talk about it in your book about control, right? And about letting go of control. Right. How, you have to see that all the time. You have to see people that at a certain point they go, wait a second, this is, I thought I had it all. I thought I had it all figured out, but it's, it's bigger than me. Do you, is, is that the case? Yeah, it, it, I've come to realize because I have a, a personality that likes to control things. You know, you know, you and I joke about the fact that I like to try and be very structured and organized and, and all that. You were just at my house, you know, a week ago and you, you saw my office, you know, you, you see how I try and keep things orderly and and uh, all of that. And that's kind of a desire for control. Right. You know, when you, you look at that, I'm trying to, in a sense, control my environment. But but what you look at and what you realize is that control is really an illusion. Like it's, it's pretend like we we're basically just trying to pretend to ourselves that we have control. We don't have control. Like I had no control over when I was born or where I was born. Uh, I, I don't even believe that I have complete control over the fact that I'm still living because there are a few moments over the course of my life where I, you know, I was personally close to death a couple times, you know, and, and most of them happened in my youth, including the fact that, uh, you know, right after I was born, you know, as you were just saying this related to your son, my my parents were told, spend as much time with your son. I got a staph infection at the hospital right after I was born. They told my mom and my dad, spend as much time with your son as you can, because we don't think he'll probably survive this. And so you look at that and you're like, oh, my goodness. And then I started losing all this weight and losing all this weight. And uh, and they were concerned. But here's the other thing. When I was born, I was 10 pounds, three ounces. And so I had all this weight that I could lose as that was happening. And I ended up recovering. And I and I look at that and I and, you know, I, I weighed several pounds less, but I was starting at an advanced weight for a brand new baby. And you look at that. It's like I had no control over that. And so you could see God orchestrating all sorts of things there. I, I even think about my childhood and some of the playgrounds that I played on. There are two playgrounds that I played on when I was a kid. I grew up in the coal regions of northeastern Pennsylvania. Two of those playgrounds had partial mine collapses on, on those playgrounds. And I think to myself, what if I was playing where those mine collapses happened to be? at the time that they happen. So it's like control is an, it's an illusion. I, I, I think I have control over things, but I don't have control. It's just like when we're driving, you know, I can sort of think I'm controlling my car, but I have no control over what all the other vehicles around me are doing. And so it's kind of like pretend control. It's Mm. not actual control. And I think sometimes when it comes to our relationship with God, it's probably, pretty useful for us that there are those moments where he gives us a vivid reminder where he shows us where he pops that bubble and he says you understand that your desire for control is fake right like this is this is an illusion the things that you think you can control you have no control over this stuff and i'm not sure if some people get it way earlier in life some people get it a little bit later but at some point you know you you feel this and you kind of go as much as we want to do it how how do you advise and i want to talk about you know the ideas in the book in terms of how our mindset goes, what we're dwelling on, mm-hmm. right? Dwelling on negativity as opposed to 
the positive side of it. Right. But in terms of the control side of it, what do you say to somebody or can you when they're, they don't see that yet? The unseen and the control, you know, that they come together when they come to you. What do you say to somebody like that? I, well, I, I don't tend to respond too aggressively to it because I actually think that they probably will eventually see it. I, I usually what I'll tell you what's going on in my mind. I actually spend a lot of time praying that God would help them see it. Mm-hmm. So the, there's, you know, one aspect of my faith that, that really, um, you know, is something that I guess wouldn't necessarily be immediately apparent to other people is how much time in my mind and in my heart, I'm actually spending praying for people and, uh, and just praying that, you know, there, there's scripture indicates that, you know, we kind of walk around through this world with these spiritual blinders on. And unless the Lord opens our eyes to see certain things, we just won't see it. Like our natural eyes won't see these things. And so I don't know that I actually have the ability to convince somebody of some of these deeper level things. I actually think that that's God's turf. I think I can I can speak what Scripture says. I can speak what He's taught me in my own life. But it's just going to be words. It's never really going to connect to anyone's mind or heart unless there there's an intervention from God somewhere to open eyes or to soften a heart. And uh, so I find myself kind of putting the burden on God for a lot of that to to open eyes and soften hearts so that if I do get a chance to say something, that that ground is already you know fertile and kind of ready for some of those seeds to be planted. It's a great perspective, right? Because you can, you pretty much know where your role is and, 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 and you know what your, your role is in this. It's not to convince everybody. It's, it's to, to lay the groundwork mm-hmm. for people to open up. And like you said, to pray for them, because I'm sure there's things that you pray for that you probably don't even tell them, but you're just totally about it. Oh yeah. Yeah. So all the time. Well. Yeah. It's, it's like a continual thing. Absolutely. And it's a big part of what you do in your life. Mm-hmm. So dwell on these, tell, tell us about the book. Well, on these things, how this came about, like the idea of a 31 day challenge and just battling the, you know, what we're dwelling on, the thoughts in our minds. Where did, how did this happen? I, so I tend to be, I can be pretty harsh on myself and, uh, you know, based on our conversations, I've, I've discovered that in some respects, you and I share some similarities there. I think we're probably more critical of ourselves than even other people are. And you're very much in, in the public eye. I'm very much, I'm very much in the public eye. And, um, you know, I receive a certain amount of, of feedback that's positive, a certain amount that's negative. And, and I, I've realized that I can be more critical of myself than anyone I know. You know, even though there, there's all sorts of like arrows that can be aimed at me from time to time, I am more critical of myself. I berate myself more so than anyone. And so for me, you know, I always try and come back to the hope that I have in Christ, the truth of his gospel. And I think, all right, what difference would it make if instead of just preaching that from a pulpit on Sunday mornings, I was spending a lot of time actually in enriching my heart, encouraging my heart by preaching that message to myself, by telling myself these things so that they remain on the forefront of my mind. And there's a, a Bible verse where the title comes from. It comes from Philippians 4, 8. And in Philippians 4, 8, it talks about, you know, whatever is true, whatever is righteous, whatever is just, whatever is holy, whatever is commendable, dwell on these things. And so I started thinking to myself, all right, like, what would it look like for me to really dwell on that and, and really tell myself that stuff? And uh, I shared with the publisher my idea for a book called Talk to Yourself. 
That's what the book was initially called. I just, I wanted to call Talk to Yourself. And they really liked the idea. But then when they started reading what I was writing in the sample chapters and in the early chapters as the book was developing, they said, you, you know, you basically talk a lot about this idea of what it says in Philippians 4, 8 to dwell on these things. Why don't you just call the book dwell on these things? Because you actually say that, you know, in the, and I, I thought, yeah, that's kind of a more complete concept of what I'm getting on. It's just the idea of letting your mind find rest in things that are true and helpful instead of filling your mind with all sorts of things that discourage your heart and drag you down and talk you out of doing the things that God wants you to do and talk you out of the things that, that God's equipped you to do. And it's like, how different would the quality of our life be if our minds were spent, or our mental energy was being spent dwelling on things that are actually beneficial and true instead of dwelling on things that are hurtful and false? So it's 31 days. Yep. It's 30, it's a, so it's essentially a 31 day challenge, but it's a full book. I mean, each day that you that you go through it, it's hard because I, I, I kept reading through it. Like, okay, I should probably stop for one day, <laughs> but, but there's the next day. What are the ones that you found most impactful either for yourself or that you're hearing from others that are reading it? It, it, it'll be interesting, you know, as, as the book gets into the hands of more and more people here, you know, now that it, people will be able to find it on shelves, uh, what that feedback from others will be. But I, I know for me, you know, and I mentioned this already, like on day two, I talk about this idea of walking by faith rather than by sight to experience greater joy. So that's something that, that really resonates with me. That's something that, that ministers to me. Um, later on, I, I, I talk about this idea of letting your heart be ruled by the peace of Christ. So I, I tend to be somebody who, you know, like we mentioned a few moments ago, desires control. But what I've discovered is that the more control I try to obtain, the more anxiety comes with mm -hmm. it. And I, I don't really feel like spending my days just filled with anxious thoughts because it's just not helpful. It's not a great way to live. And so uh, because of that, I, I think, all right, what would it look like if the peace of Christ was ruling in my heart, if I just trusted him to do his job? That's kind of how I phrase it in my mind frequently. It's like, just trust him to do his part. Trust him to do his job. You focus on what he's entrusted to you, but you trust him to do his part. And I find that his peace governs my heart when I, when I give him that liberty to, to, to really rule in that, in that way in my heart. I love the idea of, um, you know, the idea of casting your anxiety on God instead of trying to bear it yourself. You know, it's one of the things we talk about when we get into, into chapter eight, uh, the idea of, you know, just like so often in life, I, I find that if I'm trying to carry things in my own strength or carry things alone, it produces anxiety. And, and so realizing that scripture actually teaches that you can cast the anxiety on God and trust him to carry the things that you don't have the capacity to carry. So that's a few things that stand out to me that I, I, I think are some of my favorites. Although I have to admit that, that like all throughout the book, there are all sorts of things. That I'm like, boy, that was, you know, and some of the stories I share there where, where some of these lessons really uh, became solidified in my thinking. Um, you know, the, there's some experiences that the Lord's given me along the way that have, that have been reminders to me that I really can dwell on things that, that put my mind and my heart in a better spot. Day nine, you said, choose not to be easily provoked by others. Yes. Day nine. That's a hard one. <laughs> yeah, it sure <laughs> is. <laughs> That's that. You know, I read this and I go, 
I, I know these things, right? <laughs> I, I know these things, but I've heard you say it, right? You know, tame your tongue. And, 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 you know, even in some of the discussions we have, even within our group, within TLF, like certain times, you know, I'm kind of a hot-headed New Yorker where I'm like, I'm going to speak my mind and I'll, I'll kind of wonder what's John going to say, right? And, and, and you have a great perspective where I know where you're coming from, but you're also humorous enough to be able to entertain the idea of, of even just a way of, of thinking about, oh, what would that be like? How do you, because I know you probably get provoked, right? I know your role as a pastor, your, your role as a public figure. You can't put yourself out there and not get criticized if you have any type of an opinion or thought. Just walk us through for those of us that struggle with this, because I think I'm better at it now than I was three years ago, but I don't think I'm where I want to be. Um, the old idea of not letting other people provoke us. Yeah. I, I, so this is how I literally phrase it in my mind, and this is not going to sound super spiritual, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say it anyway, because it's really how I think. I, I, and I've said this out loud to a few people over the course of my life, but I think I can get, you know, so I'm picturing somebody trying to provoke me or somebody that's trying to drag me into a fruitless argument that I really don't think there's any benefit to being part of. Right. And so uh, I, I look at it and it's like, OK, to me, they sound like a baby, you know, like they're just like either whining or complaining or or, you know, just griping about something. They sound like a baby. And I think, well, of what benefit is it? ever, I, you know, my wife and I, we have four kids, of what benefit would it have ever been to us to argue with a baby? You know, like, what <laughs> difference does it make to argue with a baby? So just, you know, adults sometimes act like babies. And so I always think, you know, I can argue with another adult that's acting like a baby, but if I do that, I will also sound like a baby. And I just don't want to do it. it. It's just, it's the type of thing where I'm like, okay, I can be content in my own mind to, to feel like, it, it, put it this way, if at the end of the day, I could look back over the course of the day and, and I feel like in those moments where I got tested, if I, if I did the, the most right thing, I can be content knowing that in my own mind. I don't need external validation from somebody else to tell me whether or not what I did was, uh, you know, the right thing or, or, or not. Like, I don't need the attaboy all the time, you know, because I feel like, if my conscience is clear with the Lord, if at the end of the day I could say, all right, Lord, my life's bare before you, if my conscience is clear before him, I can be content to not, you know, try and fight every battle that comes before me or feel like I need to defend myself from every word of criticism or, or, or you know, take the provocation. There's also a saying that says, you know, you don't have to attend every argument you get invited to. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I don't know who originated that saying, but I like that saying because I think, yeah, I, I don't really want to accept the invitation to some of these things because so, there's some people that never give it a rest. Like they just go on and on and on and on. And I think that really doesn't demonstrate the fruit of the Holy Spirit living within me. If I just jump in on that all the time, I'm supposed to represent Christ, not represent, you know, kind of like my lesser motives. So how do you, in terms of your mindset, there are people that are going to do this to you. They're still going to be in your life. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they're family. Other times they might be members of your church or friendships. You're still going to see them again. Oh, yeah. You might see them consistently. Is, is there any type of mindset shift you go through as you see them to not have it be a constant negative reminder? Because it can be that. 
there are some people in my life that I have set some healthy boundaries with where I've realized that it would not be healthy for me to be continually interacting with them. So there are some boundary type discussions that I have just within my own mind where it's like, all right, you need to kind of set a boundary there because that person takes things too far. And, um, you know, so I'll, I'll admit that. But then there's also the thought that at times there are people that I, I kind of view it almost like a challenge, you know, where it, it's like it, you can you can kill them with kindness. You know, you can I want to I want to outkind you uh, knowing that you're going to be unkind to me. And, uh, you know, there's a portion of scripture that says it's like heaping burning coals on a person's head where, you you know, they they show arrogance and, and rude behavior toward you. And yet you don't respond that way. You you respond with grace and mercy where they responded with a, a harsh, arrogant attitude. And um, it really like it, it really can change a person's mind and perspective. And sometimes it just ends arguments way quicker. Like I'll, I'll give you a specific example. Yeah. There, there was a someone in my neighborhood a few years ago who came to my door and he was just like his face was red. I feel like I could see s- smoke coming out of his ears. And he was just like, like just out of his mind, angry. And the thing that he was angry like uh, uh, about it had nothing to do with me, but he decided that he was going to basically take it out on me. And so I uh, I, I listened to his complaint for a second and I just kind of you know, let him blow off steam. And then I, I think he was prepared for me to respond the same way. And I didn't. And I just said, Hey, do you want to come in and chat a little bit more? Maybe I could put some coffee on and we could talk. And he's like, wait, what? (laughs) And then, and then we had an actual conversation and then he walked away without screaming his head off. And we were able to resolve what he was upset about. And I, and my sons were in another room and heard the whole conversation. And I said, so guys, like, what do you think about that? There's a, a, a proverb that says a kind word uh, that, uh, that basically a harsh word stirs up wrath, but, a, but a, a, like a gentle word can calm it down is kind of the, the mindset of the proverb. I'm paraphrasing there. And so uh, I, I look at that and I was like, all right. And I actually, it turned into a great conversation with my sons where it's like, you don't want to stir, stir up strife with harsh words. You can actually respond with kindness or with gentleness and diffuse an entire situation when somebody's being rude or irrational. And it ended up being a great teachable moment, even in our household. And so that's kind of how I try and respond, because I think, you know, if I just argue with someone that's being a baby, it's just going to make me sound like a baby too. And I'm not really interested in that. I think that lesson alone, you know, for myself, I think for our culture needs to be spoken where you see what's going on in politics. You see the division of the way people talk to each other. And this side is right, and they're sure they're right. And this side is right, and they're sure they're right. And nobody's listening to each other. No. And they're just battling with each other. And nothing's – nobody's changing anybody's mind. Right. But, like, I, I think about it, even arguments with my parents, how often when I was younger, I would, I w- I would have my points, and I would, I would make my points, and they would make theirs back. And it was only when maybe we were exhausted enough that it wasn't working anymore that you kind of speak in a different tone. And, and we all basically say – well, if we would have just started the conversation this way, everything would have been fine. But those first 45 minutes of just trying to prove yourself, never, like, never, no matter how many times we do it, it never gets anywhere. Right. Yeah, it's unproductive. Why, it's know. unfruitful. I think that lesson right there is is so important just in the moment. And, and like you said, your kids are listening. Mm-hmm. What kind of an example are you setting for your children? How many times 
maybe if I blown off steam and my kids heard it, where I'm like, was that, was that, is that what I wanted to teach them? Not just in the moment with the person that I might have disagreement with, but am I training my kids now to do the same thing? That's, it's an eye-opening thing to think about. Right, right, absolutely. And more, sometimes more is caught than taught. You know, we want to teach and we want to model, but I, I think, uh, you know, our kids are looking at what we do and if what we do is consistent with what we say, then they'll actually listen to what we say. Totally, totally. The one, once, I mean, a lot of stories really hit me, but the story about your grandmother uh, yep. was, I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody, when they hear that, is going to think back on their grandmother or their grandparents and wonder, you know, have, have those moments, right? Like, mm-hmm. I loved it in terms of at, at whatever age she was at and you and your heavy metal 80s days, mm-hmm. she still would listen to it and gave advice on it. Um, and then even down to the last hug, I mean, it almost seemed, mm-hmm. it almost seemed just like, like out of a, out of a storybook. Yeah. Um, what you learn from that and what we can learn from that, because I found that very impactful. I, so when I wrote that chapter, that's toward the end of the book and, uh, it's toward the last third of the book. It's a, a, a chapter that, that really focuses on the faith of my grandmother and how she was content to allow God's will to be done regardless of the circumstances that were coming upon her. She was dealing with lung cancer and she ended up dying. Uh, but she was somebody that, that taught me what it looked like to, to genuinely trust the Lord's plan. She was somebody that taught me what it looked like to respect other people and to, to actually value applying wisdom to your day-to-day life. And I have to tell you, you know, there's a short list of people that I would list as like the primary examples that the Lord's blessed me with over the course of my life. And she's one of the main ones, uh, somebody that I just learned an immense amount from. But she, you know, in her in her dying moments, I mean, she gave she gave me. So I went I went to her house and I I guess I won't give all the details here, but I'll give some of them Um, right before her surgery. They were going to remove one of her lungs. And um, and she looked at me and I, I came over to her house and uh, she gave me a big hug before I left. And she asked me to pray with her and I prayed with her. She just gave me a big hug and she just held on for an abnormal amount of time. And um, and I didn't realize it was going to be the last hug I received from my grandmother, which, you know, in retrospect, I'm thinking, wow, I, I'm glad I guess I'm glad I didn't know that in the moment. But she said, you know, I'm going in for this surgery. I don't know whether I will live through it or whether I will pass away. But either way, I'm content. You know, the Lord's got it in his hands. And uh, I looked at that and it, it reminded me that our our sense of joy does not have to be dependent on our circumstances. You know, here she was facing death and she still had joy. And joy is so different from happiness. Happiness is dependent on circumstances. Joy is just a contentment in the Lord that he's got your life in the palm of his hands and he's not going to allow anything to come your way that ultimately isn't going to be for your good and for his glory. And uh, she was content with that. She modeled that when it was truly tested. You know, when someone's near death, that's definitely you get when you get to see what they really believe. And she shared with me in her actions and her words, she really believed. And unfortunately she did not survive that surgery. And, um, You know, it was a very sad moment, but we also knew um, the joy that she had and and the hope that she had was not tied to her circumstances. And and that was a great parting example from one of the wisest people I've ever known. I heard the saying, a friend told me this, he's like, 
the person never dies until their name stops being spoken. Hmm. And this reminds me of that because it's in the old, the, the phrase of like, you know, a legacy is planting seeds in a garden that you'll never see. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be what she's done. Oh yeah. Right. At, after all these years, we're talking about her here, right? We're going to publish this episode and other people are going to hear about her. Oh yeah. It lives on. And I think that's one of the many takeaways is how to be that person that lives on like that, right. that, in in that in that word that can carry all of these lessons that you bring in all 31 of these chapters mm-hmm. where every one of them we have a choice right we have a choice to be um to be in control or to let go of control we have a choice to be resentful and act out or we have a choice to do what you just told us to do mm-hmm. i think there's a lot of lessons in here that no matter what age you're at there is something to learn from and, and improve from and you realize i realize and I'm not sure if other, you know, you almost look back on what you've done and you kind of, again, negative self-talk. I, I have some of that. Like, oh, am, am I teaching my kids the right way? Hmm. You know, even in terms of even in terms of faith, am I doing them a disservice by questioning this stuff? Because am I missing years of teaching them? I, I struggle with this daily. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, you know, if you have any advice on that because it's a challenge when you don't know that you – in terms of where you feel, but I'm also raising children. I don't want them to miss out. Yeah. Yeah. I I would say, so when it comes to this, obviously listen to your conscience on this one, you know, because you're, you're always going to be, you're, that's going to steer you in a good direction. If you're like, if there's something within you that's saying, all right, this is, this needs to be added, or this is something that I want to develop more in our household. uh, You know, by all means do that. But another thought that I have, uh, that I, th- I think even makes our conversation here, you know, really mutually beneficial, like being open like this, even with your children. So like, if you're in a season right now where you're really thinking about some of these things, your kids are old enough to appreciate that and understand that. And it, just like talking about it with them and let, let, letting them know, like, here's what I've been thinking, what I've been wrestling with and invite them into that conversation. I bet you good things come from that. I, I think I would, de- you can't start where you're not, you know what I mean? Yeah. You got to start where you're at and giving them kind of a, a peek into your mind and a peek into your heart as, you know, like as you're wrestling with some of these things, um, you know, at this particular season, I think would be beneficial to them. I think it's, I think it's useful. I think it's transparent. I think it's honest. I agree. I agree. It's, it's, it's not easy, but it's, it's, you know, it, it's what feels right in terms of the stage in our life and in terms of how we're teaching and how they're growing. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why going to your church and having them watch and having them listen, it's, it opens their eyes to different worlds and Hey, maybe we have always, we have things to learn Mm -hmm. and we have ways to grow. Mm -hmm. Love it. Dwell on these things. Launches today. We can find this anywhere. I, yeah, it, yeah. If you go on Amazon, you'll find dwell on these things there. If you go into Barnes and Noble, you should find it there. If, and uh, if you're in, if you're in my area here, I'm going to sneak into Barnes and Noble, and I'm going to yeah. sign. I'm going to bring a pen with me, and I'm going to sign some of the copies. You know, we were talking about this the other day. I'm totally going to do that. I'm just going to like sneak in there and and sign a few of the copies and. And uh, and then duck out and go to the other Barnes and Noble. And, you know, I'm hoping we'll be able to see it in Target and Walmart and some other places, too. So if if you see it out in the wild, you should be able to see it out in the wild. But if you can't find it in a store, you'll certainly find it at, at Amazon and Barnes and Noble dot com and, and places like that. Uh, but, yeah, it should be pretty easy to find. Lord willing. 
I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited for this launch for the people that are going to read it. Um, if people want to find you, Desire Jesus is the website. Where's the best way to find and learn more about John Stein? Yeah, that's just like you said, desirejesus.com. People can find the podcasts that I do. They can see the books that I've written, and they could read the blog content that, that I put up there. We also even have a few times a month we do some online Bible studies and stuff like that, and people are welcome to jump on board. And we get we literally get people from all around the country and sometimes people from all around the world that jump on those. So it's, it can be very diverse, and it's a lot of fun. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, for writing this book, and I so appreciate you. Well, I appreciate you as well. I appreciate you as a man and and also as a friend and as somebody who's just willing to have a conversation about something that I think most people, like we said earlier, would find as the most awkward topic that you could possibly talk about. And here you've invited me on your entrepreneurial podcast to talk about faith. So that's pretty bold of you. So thank you for for doing that. But I got to tell you, and I, I just want to give a shout out to you your your stuff is fantastic. I've taken a lot of inspiration from what you've written and the content that you produce. So thank you for the investment, likewise, that you've made in my life, because it's also been meaningful. I truly appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. All right, John Stongy, everybody go out, get to well on these things, and I will be back with you tomorrow. So that was John Stongy. I encourage you to go out and get his book, Dwell on These Things. It made an amazing impact on me as I just recently finished it. And again, if you'd like one of the 20 copies I'm giving away, connect with me on Instagram, totallifefreedom1 is where you can find me. Send me a DM, send me a personal message that you want one of the books. And if you're one of the first 20, I'll get it for you. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Looking for ways to stay positive? Brighten your day with the free story behind podcast. Hear weekly short stories that showcase true joy, love, and hope. Listen now at lifeaudio.com or by searching for Story Behind wherever you get your podcasts.